Today, we start this new series, Make a Difference. That's what the Lord wants uh, us to do in our lives, is make a difference. I want to start the series off before I get into all those topics that you just saw on the screen there. I I thought it'd be best to start it off to to talk about our lives and our calling. So I've entitled this sermon today, Discovering Your Purpose in Life. We come to meetings like this, and um, we want the Lord to move among us, but, but we don't understand. Sometimes we have it backwards. It's like we, we want to uh, come in here to worship, and we don't realize that we go out there to worship as well. We come in here to be filled up, and we go out there to just give out everything that the Lord pours into us. And that's why I said for many years, the service starts now, at the very end of the service, because it's going from here to give out. This sermon's called Discovering Your Purpose in Life, and I, and I saw this story, and it made me think of how the church is sometimes. It's a parable about ducks. So let me, let me just share this parable with you. Uh, a community of ducks waddled off to duck church one Sunday morning to hear the duck preacher who got all excited. They waddled into the duck sanctuary, and the duck preacher pounded his bill on the pulpit. And the ducks got excited, and He told the ducks that they have duck wings with which they can fly. And all they're doing is waddling. And he said, there's no God-given task that we ducks cannot accomplish. And they all cracked, amen, shouts of it. We can soar high in the sky, he said, with our wings that God has given us. And they concluded that that is right, amen. And he ended the service by shouting, we can fly. And the amens came out, and at the end of the service they prayed, and all the ducks waddled home. (laughs) Did you know God wants you to fly? And so often we're just walking through life, not really paying attention to the task and the things that he's created us to do. Today we're going to talk about that. Let's pray. Father, you care about each one, each one you uniquely made and gifted and anointed for your purposes, Lord. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would move in hearts today to show us who you've made us to be and what you've called us to do. I ask this in Jesus' name, amen. So three things that you need to know today to discover your purpose in life. The first, we got to get it here, is you, you need to know your purpose for life in general. I like what William Barclay said. He said, there are two great days in a person's life. The day we were born and the day we discover why. If you're going to discover how God wants to use your life and work, you must know why you were created. And here it is, the purpose of life. God created you to know him intimately and to worship him with your life. Now when I say worship, I'm not just talking about worship music in the context that we have in the sanctuary here. I'm talking about your life offered to him in worship. Bigger. All of life. Because here's the truth, you will never experience true peace and fulfillment in life unless you come to know Jesus Christ and follow him with your life. You might know peace for a minute, but you won't know peace for a lifetime. Jeremiah 9.24 talks about knowing him. And it says, but let him who boasts boast about this, that he understands and knows me. That I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on the earth. For in these I delight, declares the Lord. 
relationship with him. That's how it all started, right? Adam and Eve in the garden, he created them. Beautiful setting, and he walked with them. Father God, and he talked with them. And they had communion together. Unity. Intimate relationship. And then they sinned against their creator, a holy God. Adam and Eve both partook of the forbidden fruit, and the sin separated them from God, and they were outside of the garden. And the whole Bible's the story of God bringing us back into relationship with him. The Old Testament talks about uh, the Savior that is coming, the Christ, the Messiah. It's a story about Jesus coming. The New Testament is about him showing up and doing the work, dying on the cross that we might be forgiven. He paid the ransom for our sin that separated us from God. And that ransom gives us the opportunity to stand before God clean and forgiven when we take his grace because the price was paid through Jesus Christ. And now, because of what Jesus has done, we can be back in that close relationship with the Father. Now, some of you hear that and you think, well, that story that pastor is sharing there, that's really for unbelievers. But I want to challenge you a little bit as believers today. I think it's possible for us to believe that but not make it a priority in our lives. To know Him. When we get up every day, what is the, what is the number one priority in our life? Is it to know Him? Is it to say, what do you have for me today? Or we just kind of go through life taking whatever comes our way and, and then knowing Him is just a few little sprinkles of things along the way. Listen, the number one purpose for your life is to know Him. And we can know him better and better every day. Jesus restored that possibility for intimate relationship with the Holy Father. Philippians 3.10 shows the priority here. I gave up all that inferior stuff so I could know Christ personally, experience his resurrection power, be a partner in his suffering, and go all the way with him to death itself. If you don't understand your main purpose in life is to know him, you'll look for fulfillment in other places. Work, achievement, people. I said it in the first service. I don't really have it in my notes, but I feel like I'm supposed to talk about it today. In a marriage, if your spouse is a priority over your knowing God and your relationship with God, it's going to hurt your marriage. If you need your affirmation to come from them to make you feel better every day and, 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 and to make you feel like you're important, it's not the best way to go. Because when you pursue Jesus and you understand how much he loves you, insecurity falls away. Because the creator of your soul, the reason you were created, when you get in relationship with him, it puts you at peace in life. I'm loved. I don't need someone to, to show me how they love me every minute of the day when I feel that security and love that comes from Jesus Christ. And as a result, I'm able to love more freely. And Jesus will lead me. The reason God needs to be ahead of your spouse is God will lead me to love Karen better, even more, to be a giver and not a taker. And if we're not careful, we'll, we'll try to get even the people around us to be our fulfillment possessions we can even get sidetracked with social justice which is a good thing and the bible talks about helping the poor and but but you know what that won't bring fulfillment outside of a personal relationship with jesus christ and knowing him it won't bring fulfillment that lasts 
when we come to him, he shows us how to love and how to give, and that's part of it, to, to know him and then to worship him with our lives. You were created to love and be loved by God. Embracing that's going to bring peace to your life. Making that the priority and understanding that is going to make life a lot better. Fear goes away. Insecurity goes away. Guilt, unresolved anger because of what people have done to make you feel worthless or try to make you feel that way. It falls away when you know you're loved by God and you sense His love reaching to you and His presence in your life every day. And if we don't go there, then we have fears in life. What if, what if that person leaves me? What if I don't have any money? What if something bad happens? Those things can rule our lives. But when knowing Jesus is the number one thing and resting in his love and then moving in our being and our existence and, and reaching out in his love, when that happens, all those fears fall away because he's got us and he loves us. And he'll help us. And that brings incredible security. When you come to know him, you begin to see that he has a plan for your life. You rest in his love. And, and that, that planning always includes helping others. That's the part. So, so you want to know him? That's, that's why you were created to know him and to worship him with your life. That includes things that he'll lead us to when we realize how much he loves us. Then he starts to guide us to love and help others. Ephesians 2.10 says that. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. You were created to do good works, which God prepared in advance. He's got something specifically that he has for you to do. Now, we've been told all our lives, you're going to have to listen closer, you'll miss this. We've been told all our lives that the purpose of life is to pursue personal happiness. Happiness is, is an American thing, Right? And, and, and uh, don't get me wrong, because I, I like Facebook. I want you all to be my Facebook friends. You, I'll, I'll just make a request, and I'll, I'll answer that and be your friend. But Facebook, uh, it, everybody's happy on there, it looks like, for the most part, right? Do you know I've never posted once on Facebook about an argument that Karen and I has had? But we have them every now and then. What, everybody on Facebook makes everything look awesome and wonderful and did, did you know there's this thing that psychologists are calling Facebook depression that's showing up? Because everybody looks on there and sees how happy everybody is and why are they in Disneyland and who gets to go to Hawaii and how come their children are beautiful and my children are just sick and kick me all the time? What, whatever it may be, you know. But it, there's this discontentment that can grow because everybody's putting good stuff on there. And we're told it's all about happiness, so if we're not happy, you know, that's the problem with happiness. The root of the word is happen. Something good must happen for you to be happy. Well, good things won't happen all the time. And God, when we rest in Him, He gives us joy, and He's told us that in this life you'll have ups and downs, but the, but, but the deal is He can give us joy in the midst of it all. On the mountaintop experience, when things are good, he gives us joy that's deeper than happiness. In the valley where there's a hard place, he can give us joy to know that he's got us and that he'll bring us out and this is not the end and that this world is not our home. But it's more than happiness because happiness is all about me. But the joy of the Lord, the presence of the Lord, the leading of the Lord really comes when we start to focus on him loving us and then we start to love others as well. Now fulfillment comes. My happiness might not include me making other people feel fulfilled and blessed. But God's 
plan would. Rick Warren says it this way. It's not about you. This is from Purpose Driven Life. Quote from Rick Warren. It's not about you. The purpose of your life is far greater than your own personal fulfillment. Your peace of mind or even your happiness is far greater than your family, your career, or even your wildest dreams and ambitions. If you want to know why you were placed on this planet, you must begin with God. And as you begin to develop your relationship with Him, He'll reveal His purpose for your life. When I went to um, college, matter of fact, I have a college buddy here that showed up today uh, from George Fox. We went to school together. And uh, when I first went to college, I was not putting God first. I don't know if you remember those days, Dave, but don't talk to anybody about it, all right? (laughs) But I, I, I wasn't putting Him first. I was at a Christian school, but I wasn't really serving Him with my life. And I made plans of my own. And, and I wanted to be, from the time I was a child, I wanted to be a professional athlete, along with 90% of all the other American boys. And I, eventually, I worked hard, and I eventually received scholarship money for both basketball and baseball at George Fox University. After two years of living that dream and trying to make it happen, it started to fade. Because I realized, okay... Here I am at an NAIA school playing sports. I don't know if you know what that means, but it's a lower level. <laughs> and not only am I, I'm not the best here. I'm just good. I'm not even very good. Not even excellent. I'm just a good player in basketball and baseball. And I realized I'm, I'm not going anywhere with this. This isn't going to happen. The interesting thing about my plan is never once did I ask God or think about what God would want me to do. I made a plan. I don't know about you, but I made plans of my own. I love the story of David in the Bible called the friend of God. find it really interesting. Do a a search on your computer, uh, on your Bible program if you have one. uh, Just put in inquired of the Lord and all of David's stuff will pop up. Everywhere he went, the dude was inquiring of the Lord. In moments where it didn't seem to make sense. Once when he came into a city, Ziklag, where he had his men and their families and all of his family there in this small village and they're all happy and the enemy had stolen all the families away, the children and wives, and burned the city down and left a trail showing where they had gone. And when the guys came back in on their horses from battle that they'd been in and they saw that the families were stolen... The Bible says that David got on his knees and inquired of the Lord of whether he should follow them. I'm assuming he liked his family, right? Wouldn't your inclination be just to jump and go? I think mine would. But this guy was so tuned in that he asked the Lord about it. Should I go? And the Lord said, go and I will give you success. See, I made plans and I didn't even ask him. I don't know if that happens or has happened to you in your life. Then I made a new dream. I would be a sports newscaster, and I started that way in communications at the university. That's a good plan, right? It's not a bad plan. Here's the deal. I didn't ask. I didn't ask God. Good plan, but it wasn't surrendered to Jesus. We just need to make sure that the good things in life don't steal God's best for us. And he'll lead us to specifics. And when I finally surrendered my heart to Jesus, and I did while I was in school, He lovingly redirected me. You know, I found out he's not even mad at me. He loves me so much. He's not mad. He just just has a better way. And and if I'll follow in it, fulfillment 
will come. An incredible joy started to come to my life when I started following him. And in general, if you'll make that your focus, I want to I know him. I want to worship him with my life. He'll just direct you to the right place. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. He has plans for you. There it is again. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. They're good plans to give you hope and a future. He wants you to have hope today that you can trust him, that his plan is not bad, it's better. Of course, you know what his plan was for me is to lead me to ministry. That is the last thing I wanted to do. My dad was a preacher. I had been around it for a long time and I didn't want to do it. But when I surrendered to what I thought would be terrible, it's been wonderful, the blessings of God that have come to my heart and my life, the fulfillment that's in my heart. Generally, you start by saying, I want to follow you with all my heart. You, you lead, I follow. Second thought, you want to discover God's plan for you, you need to understand your unique gifting and anointing. Your unique gifting. Every one of us are completely different. I find it so fascinating that no one in the world, the history of the world, has ever been the same as another person. You are amazingly unique. No one looks like you. I mean, Karen, my wife, is an identical twin. And I, I can tell them apart, even though they're identical, really easily. And you have not only a different look, but a different makeup. No one's ever had your gift mix. And I find that fascinating, that the, a holy God who's so amazing and so powerful and created us, gave you your uniqueness. He did it on purpose. So what do we mean by anointing and gifting? 1 John 2.27 says, As for you, the anointing you receive from him remains on you. Anointing here in the Greek means the special endowment of the Holy Spirit. And that can be for ministry for a moment, but it's also an endowment that's for your life, an anointing on your life for a special direction he's given you. And you do not need anyone to teach you, but as his anointing teaches you about all things... And as the anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it is taught you, remain in him. So that speaks of an anointing that we have. 1 Peter 4.10 says each one should use whatever gift he's received. I hope you can see that it means all of us have received at least one gift. You have a special gift from God that you have received. He gave it to you. At least one, and most of us, more than one. But everybody, at least one, and it can be used powerfully for him to serve others faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. <clears throat> so you might ask, why, what are my gifts in anointing? That's a good question to ask. Some, many of you know. I like what <clears throat> a preacher from many years ago said, R.T. Kendall, from his book, Anointing Yesterday, Today, and Tomorrow. He said this, thinking about an, a gifting and anointing. It's when our gift functions easily. How are you going to tell yours? It's when it functions easily, comes with ease, natural, no working it up is needed. It's either that or it isn't. If one has to work it up, one has probably gone outside of one's anointing. If one goes outside of one's anointing, the result is often fatigue, weariness, spiritual lethargy that's been described as dying inside. See, it's very important that you function the way you were created by God, within the gifts that he's given you, or you get miserable in life. 
Some of you are in jobs that don't really fit your gifting, and it's hard for you to be seen as uh, not good by others. And part of the reason is it's, it's, it's not within your, your natural gifting. People in churches often seek for or are placed in positions that really aren't their natural gifting. Well, that not only hurts them because, you know, people don't show up. And that would be, you know, if you have a spiritual gifting and there'll be people who show up for it if you, if you function in it. But if you're functioning outside of it, you don't get the best result and you get tired, weary, and feel terrible. So what are your natural gifts? Where do people affirm you? What's most natural and comes easy? I find it interesting that, that people often have a, a, an ease, <clears throat> say, in communication, and they think everybody can talk, right? Because it's easy. Well, it's easy for you, but it's not easy for everybody because God's given you a gift that way. For me, my natural gifts, and I don't I hope this doesn't come across as bragging, but we're, we're, we're kind of evaluating, right, our own lives. So, so an evaluation of mine as I went along, I just want to share some of the things I discovered. It started to show up early in life that, that verbal communication was something that I could do. As a matter of fact, one of the first places it showed up was I realized I could be funny. And I was that kid in class who would think of a funny line and know I'd be in trouble if I said it, and I'd say it anyway, right? <clears throat> The laugh was, was better to me. I, I'll just deal with the punishment, you know. But then I realized that it went even further than that. The more I grew, the, I, I realized that I could do a speech, you know, in class and hold attention. And I don't know if I was putting that all together with God, but I was realizing, hey, you know, I, there, there's something here. And then, and then along the way, um, it got even further where I realized that I could be persuasive at times. Well, the older I got in life, the more I realized that the Lord had put an anointing on me that I needed to learn about and trust to Him, give completely to Him, let Him anoint it with His Holy Spirit and use it for His purposes. And that's really the way it is in life. Now, if you ask me to organize something, the truth is, I, you know, I'm, I'm old enough now where I, where I could do it and get away with it and not be terrible because you, you, you learn, right, to, to do things a little bit better. But listen to this. Don't work too hard on your weaknesses or you'll diminish your strengths. Don't go so, you know, if, you, if you're a communicator and not an organizer, don't get into organizing too much or you'll diminish your, you, you'll take your time away from your strength. Now, I, I, I really struggle with this administrative thing and, I, I, there, you know, keys have been an issue for me in life. I can't find them, right? It's like they run from me. We find them in odd places. My wife says how they get there. I have no idea. I don't remember anything about that. I'm going to tell you something. I want you to know right away that I can make fun of myself, but I do not give you permission to make fun of me, okay? <clears throat> Just keep that in mind as I tell this story. I once lost my keys in my mouth. That is absolutely true. Here's what happened. I was at college as a junior in college, moving out of the dorm room, carrying two boxes. They were heavy, and I had my keys in my mouth. And while I held them, I talked for two blocks this way. And when I got to the car, I held the box up with my knee and started looking in my pockets. And my friend said, what are you doing? I said, I'm looking for my keys. He said, you have got to be kidding me. And I said, no. And the keys, I heard them, you know, as I shook my head. How does God use someone who loses keys in their mouth? For goodness sake. 
Well, he uses them in the strengths he's given them, and he doesn't necessarily emphasize their weakness. Now, there, there is an exception here. Sometimes God will use the weak to confound the wise. And sometimes that's a moment. Sometimes it's a life. But that's, that's a rare exception where a life is working in its weakness to show God's strength. Uh, but God will use all of us who are weak in some way to show his strength. So I'm not organized, but so let's talk about Karen, because she loves it so much when I talk about her in public. Um, she doesn't like people to look at her, by the way, so don't look at Karen right now, all right? Just, just look the other way. Karen is tremendously organized. Uh, she once worked for a vice president um, at George Fox, and he pulled me aside once, and he said, do you know how remarkable this young lady's gifts are? Everywhere she's worked, the, the people have just told me that she's incredible. Well, now she works for me, and I'll tell you, she is incredible. She's my administrative assistant, which means she's in charge at home and at work, actually. But, but, <laughs> but our gifts are great together because she's organized. She's into processes. She can tackle something and see where it's at and figure out how to make this smooth for everybody and work it out. And she can work in tedium and details. And I, I can't because it's like, oh, look, a birdie. I mean, that happens to me everywhere, you know, that I, that I go and I, I, just, I just can't focus hardly. You know, my, my kids are amazed that I can even talk to you on Sunday mornings and, and it makes sense, you know, just because I, I'm just, my mind and I'm, I'm just always moving and and think of, but Karen, man, she is focused. And, and she does not like to do the whole public thing, right? I'm gifted that way, she's not. And, and um, I remember, you won't believe this, but we went to a church service with my dad when he was a pastor in Washington, the state of Washington. And, and uh, he asked me, it was a small church, and he, he said, Stan, would you like to stand and give a testimony? So I just did, you know, that's what you do in those days in small churches. So I stood up and said something just out of the congregation. And then he said, Karen, would you like to say something? And she said, no. <laughs> so we're driving home. I go, man, dad asked you to say something. You said, no. No, she said, no. He asked me if I would like to say something. <laughs> so I just answered him. Well, that's okay. What are your gifts? If you'll function in them, the Lord will show himself in a mighty way. What's your anointing, that realm that God's given you to work in? Here's a couple ways you can tell. We discover the gifts and anointing of God that, that he's given us by the affirmation of others, meaning this, they'll say, hey, you're really good at that. Or they'll say, when you, when you said that, when you did that, that really blessed me. Or I've noticed this about you, and it's a really positive thing. Affirmation is one of the ways that you begin to see, okay, this, this evidently is something God's given me because you'd say, well, couldn't you see it on your own? Honestly, when it comes so naturally, you don't think it's a big deal, right? You think everybody can do it, but everybody can't because you're, you're uniquely gifted. So affirmation is one, one way, but another thing is by the fruit that comes when we, when we expend effort there. So you do something and good results will happen. People will show up. People get blessed. Lives are changed. And, and fruit shows something. If you're going hard at something on the long haul and you're not getting affirmed and there's no fruit, switch direction. Where do you move naturally in your life? 
What do you do that you don't have to work at? Chances are you're gifted and anointed there. And God wants you to walk in what he's given you. And you can cause yourself great frustration by getting outside those gifts. Let me just give a, an example that I made up here. A person, often at work, uh, might be really good at what they do. Let's take a computer programmer. And they're fantastic at programming. They've risen above the rest of their peers. And it's obviously to, obvious rather to the, to the bosses and, and those in authority that this person has a great gift. And because they're so great at programming, often they'll be asked to become a manager of other employees. Well, here's the deal. Programming and management are two different things. They're two different gift sets. And, and so they, they say, okay, I'll do it. And, and they, they start to manage. And then they realize um, employees, they have to deal with people and make hard decisions. And they find themselves under pressure. And they hate it. And they don't feel good at it. And they want out of it. And then they think, well, I have to, you know, I said I'd do it. I have to pull through and I have to, I have to stick to it. But it, they're miserable because they've gotten outside their gifts. You ever seen that in the workplace where someone was really good and called to something else that was outside their gift mix? Well, that can happen with our gifts with the Lord at times too. And, and we need to be careful to stay within this realm that God's given us. Because you get outside it, you're gifting, you get fatigued, you get weary, and as the brother said earlier, you start to die inside. Second Corinthians talks about limits, or a measure, in other words, says. The, the word limits that I'm about to read here, the Greek for that is meter. So it's a measurement, really. And uh, it comes from the root word metron, which metron means, and I just learned this from a brother this week that really blessed me. But it, but it works so beautifully today. Metron means the portion within the limits that God has intended for you. So God has a portion and some space and limits that he's intended for you. So let's read 2 Corinthians 10, 13 with that in mind. Thinking of what the brother's saying here for himself, but, but for ourselves as well. We aren't making outrageous claims here. We're sticking to the limits of what God has set for us. So what is your metron? What is the meter, the measure of the gifting he's given you and the space and the place that he wants it to work. Because that's really where the will of God is. The gifting he's given and that space, place, timing that he wants it to work for you. You can't be everywhere. You can't do everything. We're working, sticking to the limits he set for us. But there can be no question that those limits reach to include you. We're not moving into someone else's territory. So there's a good thought about working within our gifts and understanding our unique gifting and anointing. That's going to be important as you move towards discovering God's specific will for your life. Now, third point I want to make today about this. If you want to discover what, what you're to do for God, follow him faithfully. Follow Jesus faithfully every day and he'll lead you to your specific purposes. When we follow faithfully right where we're at right now, we can be sure God will help us find out what his call and destiny for our lives is. Too often, and I, I, I must confess that I, I think I'm one of these guys that has done this too often, so this is a confession of sorts. Too often in the church, pastors make us feel like we're not in full-time ministry or work if we're, if we're not working for a church or a missionary. We talk about the call of God. Well, what would happen if everybody became a pastor or a missionary? That's, it can't be the way it works because there, there's, there's a limited scope of how many he wants in that room. 
One of the problems we have in modern day America and the modern day church in America is that we separated the secular and the sacred. We made it feel like here's where you do work for God over here in the church and then you just go to work and you get back to church. And you might be a little witness over here, but what happened, if you read the New Testament, it's all about living for Jesus, being totally sold out, taking him to every place you go. I mean, the sacred should be everywhere. That's Jesus in us, right? But we talk about gifting in terms of our place in the church. And I don't think that's the way the Bible talks about it. That gifting, even spiritual gifts, are for beyond the walls of buildings, beyond the space of our friends that are Christians in small group. It's touching the world with the love of God. This might surprise you. In the Living Bible, this, this scripture, 1 Corinthians 7, 20 says, usually a person should keep on with the work he was doing when God called him. What? That's what, how God meets people. When you give your heart completely to him, he finds you in the place that you're at. You should just keep on with the work he's called you to. Now, let, let me think of it this way. Because you think this job is holding you back. And that's really a thought that will hold you back. Not the job, but the thought. Granted, on our way to God and finding his will, we'll we'll probably have many jobs. And he can lead us and guide us and all this. So it's not one job. But when you start to look at your work as a place you don't want to be and a spot that's not important and somehow outside the will of God for your life, you lose the ability to influence people in that place because you're not tuned in to God about what he wants here. Here's a thought that I like. Wherever you are, be all there. Wherever you are, be all there for God is even better. Your life will change if you don't like your job. If you get up tomorrow morning and say, Lord, I'm going to minister for you today at the place that you've called me to work. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and lead me, Lord, to your wisdom that I might help this company. Help me to love somebody to you. Help me to keep my eyes and my ears open. I am yours today in this workplace, in this space that you've called me to. That will change life right there. And I believe that's the way God's called us to live. He's uniquely gifted you to perform a work of God in the workplace. And in most cases, he wants you to remain right where you're at. When he's ready to move you, he'll let you know. It won't stop you from going to the place he's taking you. Did it stop David because he worked with a few sheep on the backside of the desert? Did it stop Joseph because he was in a prison? His scope seemed pretty limited while he was there. And then there was a doctor in the New Testament that was one of the apostles. There was a tax collector who worked for the government. There were fishermen. And they were all doing their jobs when God found them. And he can meet you right where you're at, walk you through wherever he wants you to go and you can lead up to the right space in the right place. He'll take you there. Don't worry so much about that, but be where you are today sold out for him. Colossians 3.23. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart is working for the Lord. Tomorrow when you go to work, you are working for the Lord. Not for men. Since you know that you receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. Here's a great example of this. Thinking that ministry must be in the church or 
with God's people or somehow it's the gifting is just the realm of what we know in, in, in Christian ranks. This is a good example. Have you ever heard of William Wilberforce? Um, a tremendous emphasis and impact this guy made in England through his life as a believer. Wilberforce was, really, he gradually eliminated slavery through 69 initiatives that he piloted through that nation politically to end slavery in England. William Wilberforce. Scores of years, he gave his life with 69 initiatives, other things he did, but this is his legacy. He ended slavery in England, which was so influential in his time that it made the difference in America. And eventually brought change here that it made the difference in other nations across the world where it turned and people knew it was wrong. That might seem silly to us today where people knew that enslaving people was wrong. William Wilberforce was used by God to do that. What you may not know is that he came to Jesus at the age of 26 years old. And he was ready to quit politics and go into the ministry serving in the church because he thought it to be a higher calling. Fortunately, for the world, a converted former slave trader named John Newton, the fellow who wrote Amazing Grace, the song, met with the young man and pleaded with him to stay where he was. And he challenged William Wilberforce at 26 years old that God would use him as a politician that God had called him to that place. So when we, in the coming weeks, talk about media... (laughs) Hey, I want to touch people here, but I think God's plan is for you, for us to touch people all over this world outside these ranks. So when we talk about media, when when we talk about the arts and entertainment, when we talk about business in the coming weeks, I am hoping that God will bring you alive to know that he's bringing you here to practice, that he's bringing you here to fill you up, that he's bringing you here to cause you to know his will, but he's going to empower you to go out and through all these avenues through this world. Family is one that's spoken of. Through all of these things, he's going to show us that we can touch the world as we're out there in the marketplace. And not just in this place. John Newton was used in that realm of politics. I'm sorry, uh, not John Newton, but William Wilberforce was used in that realm. God had a specific purpose for his life. And God has a specific purpose for yours. And as you're faithful to follow him, he'll show you. He'll move you at the right time. And you'll be ready what he has for you down the road to step into it I just want to ask you today don't get nervous about where you're at as if somehow you're going to miss the will of God do you know how much he loves you do you know how much he wants to help you to discover that just start to say Lord I want to know you Jesus I want to follow you with my life let him take care of your tomorrows because he's got you he's got you covered he'll lead you and he'll guide you to the right place he's bigger than you missing it just put your hand in his and he'll lead you there. I like this scripture and I want to end with it this morning. Psalm 138.8 says, The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. You follow him. You make it about your relationship with him. You let him place the dream in your heart. 
Sometimes the dream seems so big, you don't think you can do it. If it's his dream, he'll take you there. Sometimes the thing seems so small, you don't know how he could use it. If it's his dream, it's going to be huge when you get there to change someone's life. But it's about following him. It's about trusting him. And then you'll see his purposes fulfilled in your life.